Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. This is the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying healthy and safe out there. As I mentioned in the beginning of all my episodes, it is a crazy time, a crazy year. We've got the pandemic spread throughout this country. And of course, now the West Coast is affected by the wildfires from Northern California all the way up into Washington. I know friends out in Canada near Vancouver are actually affected too as well. Southern California, of course, has the heat wave, which hit like 100 and, I don't know, it was like 18 degrees or something like that a couple weeks ago or last week. So it is crazy. And we are winding down the final days of summer. And we uh, continue to be here for you, talking rock, creating somewhat of a distraction, if you will. And would like to welcome in our next guest, which is from the UK. The band is Doomsday Outlaw. The guest is Indy Shanda. And what's going on? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I said I'm re- relaxing. It's, it's evening time here, so I'm looking out over darkness. And uh, yeah, just chilling with a beer. End of the day. There you go. What kind of beer are you drinking? Oh, God, I can't remember. Moretti, I think it is. There something you go. light. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just fall asleep if I have something too heavy. You know, I'm a, I'm an ale guy myself, especially dark ales, brown ales and stuff. So that's kind of where my sweet spot is. Yeah, I am normally, but uh, it's, it's been a week. <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll be ready to just fall asleep if I have something too heavy. Well, hey, nothing like uh, the end of the day and capping it off with a beer and just kind of relaxing. There you go. So you're into it. We're ready to begin here. We always ask the same question every time we have a new guest. 
on the Hook Rocks podcast, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you, Indy? Uh, all right, well, how old was I? God, I must have been, I think I was eight. My brother's a few years older than me. He's like four years older than me. He went He went into town and uh, he came back with a single um, of, and it was Motley Crue and it was something off Shout. I can't remember what it was. I think it was Too Young to Fall in Love. Okay. Um, and it had, that was the A side and then the B side was Livewire. And I remember he put it on. It was lunchtime. He put it on. He'd cycled into town on his bike. He'd put it on. And we were like, what is this? We'd not, not heard anything like it. Um, and then we turned it over and, and blasted Livewire. And we're like, even more so. Minds were blown. So we kind of played it a couple more times. And we were reading the sleeve. And it said on the said on the sleeve that, yeah, the, the first song was from the new album, Shout the Devil. Second song's from Too Fast for Love. So like, well, there's two albums here. So I remember, like, so we'd, we'd had it maybe half an hour. And he, uh, yeah, he just, like, put his coat back on and just cycled back into town to buy both albums. And uh, I think uh, me and him were both both hooked on that from uh, from that moment on. I think he was into kind of rock music before that. But I think the, just what the what the crew came out with in 84 uh, or whenever it was was, uh, was just something so new to us. Obviously, looking back, you kind of realise that Alice Cooper had got there first, and everyone else. But, but uh, yeah, we were coming from a, a place of ignorance, and uh, that was what lit the fire for me. That was such an interesting time for me too, as well. When I got when I got turned on to Motley Crue, I remember being at the park down the street from my house, and a bunch of us were kind of hanging out on the swing sets and in the basketball court and whatnot, and. You know, you used to have boom boxes back then. You used to have the cassette in the center of it, and you used to have the two speakers right, you know, on, on each side. And we heard, like, this noise coming closer to, the, you know, it got louder and louder as the person kept getting closer. And it was one of my friends and had a boom box, and they were playing Motley Crue Bastard from the Shout the Devil album. And, you know, we were all, Jesus, eight, nine years old at the time. Some of us maybe a little bit older. <laughs> yeah. And we we heard this and we were like, "What is this? This is crazy. This is this is incredible." And then we heard in the beginning and shout the devil and looks at kill and two and the fall in love. And then I remember seeing the videos, and they had such an impact. And then I remember one of the older kids at school saying, "Well, too fast for love is the better album than shout the devil." And then like you know like your brother like I had to have that album too. Because I'm like, what do you mean it's better than Shout the Devil? Shout the Devil is like the best thing I've heard in my entire eight years of existence. So, um, so yeah, I remember that time too as well, getting exposed to Motley Crue. Where did it go from there for you? I mean, from Motley Crue, what did it lead to? Um, so, I'm kind of immediately, it was all um, it was all the kind of uh, LA based stuff. So, you know, kind of over the following years, be like the Crew and Poison, Fast Pussycat, um, Guns N' Roses. Um, but at the same time, so I had friends at school who were kind of listening to some slightly heavier stuff, so um, kind of Metallica um, and early Anthrax. Um, 
oh, what else around that time? But also, obviously, you know, being British, there was a lot of stuff. Things that things that were kind of mainstream, but not mainstream. So like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. You know, even people who weren't fans of those bands knew who they were because they were massive. So, so you'd kind of, you know, you'd hear like every now and again, you'd hear a bit of Led Zeppelin on the radio. And, you know, in, in, in Britain, we don't have rock radio the same way that you guys do in the States. So to kind of hear a rock song on the radio was, was quite a big thing because it was unusual. So, you know, you'd, you'd hear a bit of Sabbath, you'd hear a bit of, um, you'd hear a bit of Zeppelin. You'd hear bands like Slade and Sweet. And all those kind of seventies glam rock stomp bands, kind of you know, a different kind of glam rock and kind of Mark Bolan. So all that stuff was kind of in the air. Um so yeah, all of that I was I was into I mean, I was into anything really. Anything kind of rock based, but then on top of that I was always into like anything that had a hook as well. Like my mum and dad, when I remember when I was growing up, um a lot younger a lot younger than be- before I heard the Cruisers just um, a lot of ABBA being played and, you know, anything. And, yeah, if you're talking about a band with hooks, then um, that was the sort of stuff that, yeah, when I was really little. So, which, you know, and I always appreciated, because of that, I always appreciated a song that had a good rhythm section and had a good uh, vocal hook and had choruses. I think a lot of of glam rock stuff was, um, you know, it was essentially pop music with hairspray. and that's no bad thing. I don't think pop music in, in the in the best sense, as in, you know, pop music in the way that Chic was pop music and, you know, in the way that uh, the animals were pop music. Um, yeah, not something that was just um, created purely to try and push some buttons and, and, and sell some records. I think, yeah, there was a kind of different idea behind it all back then. But yeah, I'd, I'd listen to anything and everything and uh, see what took my fancy. It's amazing how pop music has evolved into what it is today. My son's 15, and whenever I play him something that was considered pop in the 80s, he's like, this isn't bad. This is actually pretty good. And he's like, why can't pop music be like this? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I was a massive Duran Duran fan. So was I. Yeah, I love Duran Duran. Great live. Fantastic band. Um, And still fantastic now. I saw them. Two, two or three years ago, I think it was. And um, again, I mean, being a bass player, you can't, you can't fail to to be impressed by Duran Duran. But yeah, they've just got so many good songs. And again, hook they get people in. And um, it's weird because, like, you know, I don't. Whenever you kind of hear bands like, um, oh, it's, you know, bands like Corn and Deftones, they're they're like massive fans of kind of British eighties pop. Um. And I think in this country, there's because they were kind of seen as a different thing. So I think if you were into rock music in Britain, then being uh, simultaneously into into the likes of Duran Duran will be seen as a bit odd because they were a pop band. They were they were essentially the boy band of their day. Um, but um, yeah, I think there's there's kind of like they, they didn't get categorised in the same way when they were abroad, and. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I didn't care to be honest. I didn't care what people thought. Yeah, you know, I liked I liked what I liked, and uh, yeah, like I say, always appreciated a good a good hook. Did the new wave of British heavy metal have any influence on you as well? Um, not really. Not at the time. I had friends who were really into Iron Maiden, but I, they never really. I could, they were one of those bands that I could see why they were good. Like you know, and yeah, the the, the big songs like 
you know, run to the hills and stuff like, you know, everyone liked. But um, but uh, they never really grabbed me in the same way. I, I appreciated them without loving them. Um, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd much rather have been, you know, in a mosh pit covered in beer listening to Faster Pussycat than, <laughs> you know, a seven-minute epic about Icarus. <laughs> when did it uh, become apparent that you wanted to get up on stage and play in a band? Uh, I was quite young. I first played in a band uh, when I was 14. Um, I can't remember what we were doing. I think we were doing... Um, God, I can't even remember what we were playing now. We, we were doing originals, um, but it was all kind of... It was kind of Clash-influenced. Um, so it was kind of, you know, kind of short, um, punky stuff, um, you know, verging on a bit of hardcore. And then, um, and then when, when I was a little bit older, um, so probably about 16, 17, I was in a band, um, and we were doing, we were doing covers and, uh, I, I was in the, the guitarist was an absolute phenomenon. It was just ridiculous. I have no idea what he's doing now. So he was, I think he was 16. He was like a year younger than me, but I mean, he was just, I, I can't describe how good he was. Um, just this lad, um, and you know, we we kind of we decide every uh, week we'd pick some songs to learn for next week, and we used to start just throwing these songs out just that were just stupidly difficult just to see if he could do them. And he'd come in the next week and he'd have them absolutely bang on. And yeah, I'm talking songs like we did "Kittens Got Claws" like Steve Vai, White Snake, okay, and "Decadence Dance" like Nuno Bettencourt, Extreme. And like, yeah, loads of Van Halen stuff. And like, he would come in a week later and just have it absolutely note perfect. He was just ridiculous. Um, you know, he's about four and a half foot. He was, he was only young. Yeah, mass and the guitar looked massive on him, but he was just, uh, he was there in his shiny white high tops and just absolutely the coolest kid you've ever seen. And just, just knocking this stuff out. It's just, yeah, me, me and the drummer would just stand there just with our jaws on the floor. He was a, a phenomenon. But, uh, so that was always good. That was fun because we'd rock, we yeah, we'd rock up to these pubs to play sets, and yeah, we're obviously like, you know, a good five, ten, fifteen years younger than the other bands on there. And they they go, who are these kids? And like, yeah, everyone like having a bit of a laugh at our expense. And then you get the sound check and like knock out, you know, a Steve Vai tune, and like suddenly everyone took you seriously. So um, yeah, it was good. So it was fun. That's how I first got into it a long time ago. What is the history with Doomsday Outlaw? Um, so with Doomsday, it's weird because um, I was actually in another band at the time, but um, as bands are, there was uh, there was all sorts of politics and things not working. So I thought, well, yeah, I was kind of, I was getting, I was getting a bit bored to be honest with like doing stuff and it not going anywhere. So um, we had to we had to pull out of a show. This is my other band. We had to pull out of a show, and I didn't want to leave them with nothing so I contacted a couple of uh, radio DJs that we'd worked with and said is there any any decent bands that I might be able to get to take the slot so when I ring the venue to cancel I'm not leaving them leaving them hanging and they mentioned this band so um, I checked them, I checked out their website and had a listen through and I noticed on the um, on the band lineup page they didn't have a bassist listed so um, so yeah so I just randomly got in touch with them and 
had a chat and said, you know, what's the deal with that? And they said they didn't have a basis. So I was like, yeah, all right, I'll try out for that if you want. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I ended up. It was just, you know, completely random. I wasn't really looking for another band, but um, I was looking for something to do with my time and effort. And um, that's where I ended up because, um, you know, the riffs and stuff that Steve had were great. And, and yeah, I had a few lineup changes over uh, over the period. I think as because I'd had a little bit of success in that previous band, so I'd kind of got a standard of what I was trying to do in terms of getting noticed by labels and getting better quality gigs. Um, so I was kind of doing a lot of that um, inverted commas manager stuff. Um, so yeah, we uh, we had to part ways with the singer, and and that's when um, that's when we found Phil, who is our singer now, who is tremendous. Um, and yeah, as soon as as soon as Phil came in and and started singing the songs that we'd already got written, you knew you knew you were in the presence of someone who had got some actual talent, and you've got something that you could step up from just being that that local pub band. Um, and then we started writing new songs because we knew we had a, a real you know instrument to work with there. Um, and yeah, it kind of moved moved on from there. It's been amazing to see the progression of the band from when you first started out to present day now, you know, you, you hear the band evolving with each release, with each album that you guys do. Can you, is that something that you guys strive to do? Is it happen just organically? How is that process? How was the writing and recording process with you guys? Um, it's kind of a combination. I mean, we, um, so I mean, like I said, when Phil joined, we were, um, we were very conscious that yeah, we'd got a lot of ideas that we'd we kind of shelved because we knew that the previous singer just wouldn't be able to to do anything with them. It's kind of you know, kind of Zeppelin-y influenced, almost folksy things like this. Yeah, you know, what turned into all that I have on Sufferable. Yeah, we'd had that written a while, but we we never really did anything with it. So so we wrote we wrote a, a load of songs and went in the studio thinking, oh, we'll release this ourselves. Um, yeah, we so we recorded fifteen songs and thought we'll pick the best twelve, but we liked them all. And because we were putting it out ourselves, we just thought, well, what are we going to do with an extra three songs? Stick them all on there. And um, so we had this quite long album which we hadn't really planned, and we yeah we got sent out for review. And uh, I think the reviews went so well that literally on the day that it was officially released, we uh, I got an email from uh, from. Mario at Frontiers Records offering us a record deal, um, so uh, so yeah, so we kind of went from having this uh, this kind of slightly amateurish approach, not on the sound, not on the recording. I mean, we were determined to do the best we could, um, but in terms of like, yeah, if we'd known it was going to be a uh, a proper release, we probably wouldn't have put all the songs on it. We'd have kind of made it a bit more compact and uh, <laughs> things like that. But um, so yeah, so that's that's we kind of put that out the best we could and then we were immediately pretty much back in the studio because because uh, Frontiers wanted a new album uh, and kind of wanted the same sort of thing. So we had a little bit of progression on those two albums. Probably not as much as we'd have wanted, um, but um, that's how it goes. And then uh, so Hard Times came out and um, and now we've got this new one where we really have made uh, you know, some, some things that we were hoping to kind of work in because we all like different types of music as well and we wanted to do something that had 
um, some more contemporary influences and some more country influences in the kind of you know Skinner, Blackstone Cherry, uh, Marshall Tucker band type vein. So yeah, so we kind of took this opportunity to uh, to uh, change our sound up a little bit to kind of keep all the things that that we liked, but also uh, yeah bring some extra stuff in. That's why uh, Runaway, the single that we put out in June. And people have kind of compared to uh, a bit of Foo Fighters and Alter Bridge, um, which yeah would be quite a departure from what we've done before. But that's good. I mean, we, yeah, we wanted to do some some different stuff. Um, so yeah, we're kind of in a position where we're kind of yeah widening widening what we bring in, and uh, I think that's only going to continue from the new stuff that we've been writing over the last couple of months as well. I love the song "Runaway." It's an incredible song, one of my favorites of this year. Um, and I do hear you know, the contemporary influences in that, definitely. However, as an artist, you you guys have to evolve, right? I mean, very few bands can be like ACDC and put out the same thing and, and people run and buy it and, and run and go see them. But, I, mean, I have to think as an artist from the moment you started to, the, to now, you know, you have to keep evolving. You've got to keep stretching yourself to make it interesting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, some people are different. I think some people, they, they do their thing and that's what they like, kind of variations on it. But um, yeah, definitely me and, and, and Phil as well, we, we kind of listen to a lot of different stuff. Um, yeah, stuff that maybe wouldn't really kind of work its way into the songwriting. Um, but still, I mean, yeah, as a bassist, I'll listen to like a lot of kind of Atlantic soul stuff and, um, you know, James Jameson and things. Um so you'll hear on on some of the songs. So like "Bring You Pain," there's like yeah, that's that's just a solid salt bass line. Saltwater, Saltwater is just a, a soul song that's just got a lot of guitars on it, basically. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, you're right. You you need to keep it interesting for yourself because if you start to get bored with what you're doing, it's I think it's immediately obvious for anyone who listens to it or anyone who comes and sees you. And um, I think it's insulting, really, if you're expecting people to uh, to pay hard-earned cash to see something that you're not invested in, then why should they be? Yeah, wouldn't work for me. And I under, I would have to imagine, too, that, you know, the larger an audience or larger the audience is for a band or a musician, the harder it is to, to change and evolve. You know, I mean, because you've got this, you know, huge group of people and, Listen, I know every artist in every band wants a huge audience, you know, don't get me wrong, but I also, you know, there's some, there's some sacrifice to that too. You know, when you become big and you become a household name, it's very hard to change and evolve because people want that same sound that they fell in love with and why they started following you. Whereas a newer band like Doomsday Outlaw or other bands that are out there, you know, have the ability to keep doing that. So they now becomes part of their norm of evolving as artists, evolving in writing, evolving in arrangement and influence. So it's, it's, you know, there's some good and there's some bad, but I, like I said, from listening to you guys in your early material till now, I just love the way you guys have progressed and keep progressing. I think that's really interesting for a fan like myself. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you say, I think it's essential. I mean, I find when I'm listening to bands, I have a lot of respect for that idea that the artist 
first and foremost, the artist is there for the artist because, you know, if you're just making something because you calculating what you think an audience wants and it's not something you want, then it's not authentic. It's not genuine. Um, so, I mean, for me, uh, I, I used to love Radiohead earlier stuff and then they went a bit dancing. And so for that reason, I wouldn't go and see Radiohead because I don't like the new stuff, but I completely respect the fact that that's what they want to do. And, you know, this, you know, you, you listen to bands like Metallica, who've changed hugely over the years, gone from thrash to, to hard rock to getting a little bit more thrashy and kind of going back to their roots a little bit. And, you know, some people go with that journey and some people don't. And I think that's fine as long as, yeah, the reasons for going through all those changes are, are genuine, then, yeah, more power to their elbow, I think. One of the bands that evolved tremendously throughout their career was Led Zeppelin. And every musician, or most every musician, will always cite them as an influence. Most rock fans are familiar with their music and love Led Zeppelin. But if you take Led Zeppelin 1 all the way through in through the outdoor, every album is different. There's some similarities yeah. on, on, on some of the albums, but there's always a different approach, which is one of the reasons why I love them so much is because they were trying to test the limits and, you know, figure out and, and incorporate, you know, world music influence and blues and, you know, later on with the keyboards and stuff. And it's just a tremendous way to approach your music and to satisfy your fans with, Hey, we're going to keep going in different directions. You can follow us. We want you to follow us, but Hey, this is what we're going to do. I hope you dig it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it comes down to. Isn't it? I hope you dig it. I hope you appreciate why we're trying stuff. And you know, yeah, like I say, if, if, if a band you like comes out with something that you don't like, that's their right. <laughs> and that, that, that's it. That's the long and the short of it. They're not, they're not beholden to you because you bought a CD off them 12 years ago. It's, uh, yeah, I, I find that whole attitude quite odd when people are slagging off bands because they're releasing songs that, you know, a particular fan may no longer be into. just seems odd. seems very entitled. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I said, as, as long as a band is, is doing what they want to do, yeah, whether they, I mean, like I'm a massive fan of ACDC. Whenever they, uh, whenever they tour, I try and see them, and they do pretty much have stuck to the same template, and that works for them. So you know, each to their own. I think it's great. As far as 2020 goes, you guys have released a few singles. It's been a difficult year for most. What has the impact of COVID nineteen been on Doomsday Outlaw? Um, well, so I mean, we, we had the album all in the can uh, at the start of the year, kind of Christmas time. We were just doing some final mixes, very, very final mixes. And um, we, so we had kind of plans for this year. <laughs> uh, we were actually in Spain on our first um, tour abroad in March, um, which is when the lockdowns kind of came in across Europe. Um, so much so, I mean, we've driven across the continent from the UK, driven down, down through France and into Spain, um, managed to do one show before they were starting to shut venues and close the borders between the countries. So that was that was kind of when it all suddenly felt very real and not just something you were listening to on the on the news. Um, and yeah, you know, this album that we've we've kind of had 
in the can ready and videos that we've had ready. Yeah, we had a schedule for what we were going to do this year, which has kind of gone up in smoke. Um, so we started late. Yeah, like we said, we put, we put out Runaway and we put out Turn Me Loose. Um, so the video for Turn Me Loose is, uh, is a cartoon, which first of all was, yeah, the reason it's a cartoon is because we weren't allowed in the same room together to shoot a video. Um, but it gave us the opportunity to do something a bit different. So I chose to kind of make a, a bit of a humorous take on that whole Spain experience and and um yeah what that entailed and uh yeah trying to trying to look at the funny side of it. Um and yeah so we've got the the album itself which yeah we were originally planning to put out um at the start of summer but yeah without being able to support it with any shows we've kind of uh, taken a step back and looking at exactly how how that's gonna come out. Um which it will do. It will do soon. It's all there. It's sitting there. So uh, it's kind of weird because we've been living with it for a long time now. But um, yeah, I think we we can't wait to get back out there. I think yeah, you can find you can kind of see when you when you kind of go on your social media and you can see that people are itching to get back out to gigs and to support the bands that they love. So um, I think when that happens, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think there's going to be a lot of people out and a lot of. Uh, a lot of good gigs to be had. What are some of the things, you know, in terms of opportunities that you had this year that you had to put on pause or you had to scrap altogether? Um, well, I mean, the biggest one was the, the Spain, like I said, the Spain tour, because, I mean, that was that was there. We'd started it, um, and we were looking to, uh, we, we were looking to do some kind of um, festival shows, over the summer because we did uh, we did um, Bloodstock Festival now if you've heard of that so Bloodstock's um, one of the big festivals over here and um, kind of had Slayer and Judas Priest and people before um, so it's slightly heavier than Download uh, it's more of a metal festival um, although they're branching out a bit more into rock which is where we were on so we hoped to kind of build on that um, and kind of do some more festival shows but it's really the entire festival season's gone uh gone up in smoke so um so yeah that whole that whole plan of putting out a selection of tunes at the start of summer and following up by playing to uh, as many people as we could in as many fields as we could just completely disappeared um and then the plan was to be doing a headline tour probably around now i suppose kind of october september october time um so yeah, so all of that I think is just uh, just sat waiting to be sorted out from scratch again for next year. And uh, fingers crossed. I mean, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that we're going to be getting people back in venues uh, sometime soon. I think we're all hoping for that. All music fans want that. All musicians and bands who have been sitting on material throughout the whole year, postponing their release dates to 2021 you know, are frustrated, you know, because I thought myself in terms of just the bands that I've talked to and the bands that I've heard, I felt that this was going to be a big year for rock music. And it's not, unfortunately, a lot of things, a lot of that momentum had to be paused. And I'm hoping that the momentum finds its way again in 2021 and there's rock shows and there's places that we can go and see live music it's just, I mean, I haven't been to a live show all year, and I usually go to 20-plus shows a year, probably closer to 30. 
and I haven't been able to go to any, and it's frustrating. And I can only imagine if you've got material that you're waiting for fans to hear that you got to sit on it and you got to wait, you know, before, you know, to make it, you know, uh, more, you know, to get more bang out of your buck, so to speak. If, if you release it now, there's really not much you can do with it. So I know that's frustrating, yeah. and, and I hope, I, I still think rock's going to explode after 2000, after this pandemic. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that once January 1st hits in 2021, things are going to miraculously go back to normal. I think that's a pipe dream at this point. But at some point in the new year, as we move forward, it's it's going to have to, at some point, figure its way out, and and we need to do what we need to do. Um, but it's just the unknown, the you know the un, the inability to plan what you can do, what you want to do, because you don't know, is frustrating. It's frustrating in just normal life, and just you know. Thinking about what you have to do throughout the year, I can imagine being in a band or being a musician and just be like, well, let's do this. Well, we don't know how that's going to be, and let's do this. We don't know what that's going to be. So the fact that you can't have a clear picture of the big picture can be really frustrating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, assuming that the uh, – yeah, because obviously we're, yeah, we're losing some venues because they just can't – they can't afford to reopen because they've not been able to – sustain themselves through you know through the summer period of, of not having any revenue but assuming there's places to play i think yeah the the, the good thing as an individual band is it yeah you know, it's not just you it's not like you know say we've done something where you know phil had blown his voice out or something and and we were sat there watching you know 20 other bands do what we wanted to do over summer at various festivals that would have been frustrating but i think it's the fact that everyone is on pause and everyone is ready to just pick up where they were means you don't yeah you're thinking maybe you're not going to miss out as much as as you might have done so we'll stay positive and we know we've got a killer album and uh, (laughs) it's just waiting to actually get it out there how is being creative during this you know during this whole situation you know i've talked to some musicians and they've said it's very difficult because you're doing a lot of the same things every day and some are fine. They can keep writing and keep creating and doing that. How is it for you and how is it for Doomsday Outlaw? Um, yeah, I mean, we've kind of been concentrating on, you know, on life as it is, we're kind of like, you know, jobs and things. But I know that, um, you know, we've uh, just recently been able to start uh, getting back in the rehearsal room. Um, and, you know, as part of that, we've... Uh, we have started working on a, a couple of new tunes. So even though we've got this kind of dozen tunes that um, that haven't been released yet, we're kind of we've started working on some new things. So that you know, when the time comes, we've uh, we're going to have a good library of stuff that we can pick from. So we're not yeah, you know, we're not just kind of there with the first twelve tunes we've written. So yeah, I think we're starting to get back into it. So you kind of lose the you lose the habit of doing stuff because I think a lot of a lot of um, band stuff is about, you know, you rehearse so many times a week and you're there and, you know, sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't feel it, but as long as you're there and trying, you're always moving forward. And I think it's the fact that not being able to meet, because we all live in different cities as well. So, you know, it's not like we've even been able to kind of pop and meet each other socially. Um, so that's been quite difficult. But, um, 
yeah, last month's been a lot better where we've been allowed to get back in a rehearsal room and uh, just uh, knock some ideas about. So uh, I think there's, uh, there's going to be some interesting stuff for the album after next, <laughs> so, which feels strange to be talking about. But um, yeah, no, always moving forward. How difficult was the isolation from each other? You mentioned that you guys all live in different cities and it was challenging to meet up and get together. What? How frustrating was that? Um, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, because you know, yeah, when I was in when I was in a band and I was twenty, yeah, we, I mean, we literally lived in the same house. Yeah, we were like we were like the bunkies. Yeah, we do everything together. We live in each other's pockets. We drank each other's beers. We went out like every night. It's like whereas now we're all kind of yeah, we're in different cities, but we've kind of got you know we've got jobs, we've got lives and stuff. So. I've kind of been concentrating on that and kind of moving in between doing a bit of band stuff. It's been a lot of kind of behind the scenes businessy things that we've been trying to keep going as well. New opportunities that we're trying to get in place, ready for um, ready for when we do hit the road again. Um, so yeah, so I've been doing that. And I know that Phil and Alaz, our guitarist, have kind of been knocking some more song ideas between themselves. Obviously, not as much as as would be normal over the summer but um yeah we've been keeping keeping ourselves busy um but we did um i mean one of the nice things we did um a big video shoot on sunday just gone and hired a big stately home out in the countryside um and it meant that we got to spend the whole day together which is kind of rarity for us we kind of only really spend all that time together when we're on tour um which we haven't been able to do for a long time. So it was nice to kind of see the lads and, and you know, kind of do band things, kind of film stuff. We were all being filmed individually, so that's always quite funny. You've, you've got an audience of people laughing at you when you're doing your bit. Um, so that was good. And then, you know, a bit of downtime, have some drinks and uh, catch up and just, uh, yeah, just relax in the sunshine with your friends, um, which is nice. It was good to get, good to get back into it and, uh, get the feeling of uh, being back in the gang again, seeing everyone. We talk a lot about the state of rock and roll on this podcast. It's an ongoing discussion with people that contribute and artists like yourselves and what their perspective is and what they're feeling out there in rock and roll. I mean, I, I can't really speak of what's going on in the UK because, you know, I'm in America. And what we see in America is bands newer bands, you know, struggling to kind of punch through and, and, and create an audience. It takes a lot of work. You know, I, I often mention the rival sons and how long it took them to create the audience that they have now. And what's frustrating is, you know, I've, I've been listening to rival sons from the very beginning and now you have fans saying, Oh, this is, this is a great band. I can't believe I never heard of them. And it's, because of their lack of interest in wanting to hear something new. The classic rock fan, as I've mentioned before in many episodes, is off in their own world. They're comfortable with what they know. They're going to go see the big ticket bands in the stadiums, like your ACDCs and your whatever band, your Metallicas, your Iron Maidens. And that's great. You know, I'm a fan of those bands too, and I'll go to a lot of those shows. But for me, life would be boring if I didn't, bring anything new into my life, you know, music wise. And I need to have that. And I love seeking out new music, but 
I'm not the demographic new bands like Doomsday Outlaw needs to catch. It's, it's the youth of today. What does Doomsday Outlaw do to try to catch more of the youth audience than more of the classic rock audience? I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it is very difficult because you know, there's only so much you can do to, to change people's opinions. And I think one of the big things that, that you need is once you have a few bands that kind of make it onto more mainstream radio, and this is how it works in this country, it's, it's, it might be different there, but you know, if you get onto mainstream radio, then people start to take notice of a scene. So there's a band that we've been, we've done shows with over, uh, I've done shows with in different bands with them over like 10 years, like playing in the back of pubs, literally, literally playing to like two or three people. Um, and they've been getting bigger and bigger. And um, just over summer, they uh, they had a top 10 album here, a band called Massive Wagons. Um, and there's also a band called, um, oh, what they called Those Damn Crows. They also had, I'm not sure how high their album got, but it was charting. And I think what happens is when you've got a couple of bands like that that start to get played, places where people who aren't actively looking for rock music might hear something and go, oh, I quite like that. But yeah, they're, they're kind of casual music fans. That's when you start to get people going, oh, well, what else is there like that? Because if people who are programming the radio and the playlist think, oh, we've got some decent feedback off that, and then they realize there's like two dozen other bands that are equally as good that are just bubbling under, and that's that's where that's where we need to be. So we're kind of we know a lot of these bands because yeah, we've played with them for years as they've got picked up and 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 had that success. And um, so we'll kind of play with them, play as their audiences kind of widen. Then we want to put ourselves in front of them. A band called Wayward Sons that we did a tour with. Um, their lead singer was in a band called Little Angels. Who were they were they were big in the kind of early nineties around the same time as you know kind of Thunder and the Almighty and Wild Hearts. So um, yeah, so they were they were playing like big festivals and stuff. They went on tour with they support how do you say support support Van Halen support Bon Jovi on their um, UK and Europe tours. So they were they were kind of a, a big local band at the time and. Um, they're kind of that crossover audience where they'll have people who were fans of them, fans of the singer in the 90s, but they're also kind of bringing a lot of younger fans with them. So that's where we're, we're trying to get ourselves in front of those kind of audiences and um, see what we can pick up. And it went down really well. I mean, the good thing about the Wayward Sons audience is that they're interested in other music and other bands. So they'd, um, they, they even though we were on, obviously we were on first, yeah, we I think every single night on that tour, we went on to a packed house because they'd all turn up early because they trusted Toby, the lead singer from Wayward Sons, to pick a band that they'd like. And they'd come down early to check us out and see what they thought. And um, they were great crowds. So, um, you know, I think the strategy is to do more of that, get get in front of people and um, and, uh, try and win them over. I agree. I've had both Massive Wagons on the show as well as Those Damn Crows, and, you know, it's it's great to see them having success and building upon the success that they had before and just keep building and building, kind of like Rival Sons did. You know, Rival Sons kind of was the same thing. It's just frustrating because I think 
2020 is kind of creating that perfect storm for rock where, you know, rock needs that anger, needs that angst to survive. And when you're cooped up and you're locked down and you're doing the same thing and life is not what you want it to be, you start to develop that, especially in the youth and the younger people. You know, the younger people here, especially in the Chicago area, are not in school right now. And, you know, it sucks doing the same thing every day. But I know my son and his friends, I mean, they're they're jamming on their instruments through FaceTime and they're doing all this stuff. But I think also with bands like the Struts and Greta Van Fleet and Dirty Honey, those all those bands coming to the forefront as well. 2020, I was expecting big things like I mentioned before. I think 2020 is possibly going to be what I thought 2000, I'm sorry, 2021 is going to be what I thought 2020 is going to be. What are your thoughts? Yeah, maybe it's interesting. I mean, the struts, the struts are an interesting thing because they're one of those bands like um, like Bush years ago. They're one of those bands that um, really took off in America, and no one in this country knew who they were. Um, and they're literally their their guitarist lives on the same road as our old drummer. Um, yeah, that's they're from this tiny, yeah, pretty small town in the middle of middle of England. And um, yeah, I think they're they're singer is from the singers from Sunderland I think it's just like you know just random industrial towns where the best singers come from I suppose but um, looking at Robert Plant and, and Ozzy but um, yeah they, I mean they I'm not even sure I, I, to say that they couldn't get picked up in this country might be even overstating it I don't think anyone knew who they were or gave them a second thought so they just packed their bags and, and went across to you guys and did what they did but they make good decisions I think as well they did. Um, oh man, I can't remember what it was. What was the? They did a cover. Um, oh, dancing in the streets. Yes, just the Van yes. Halen version of it, though, didn't they? Yeah. Which is a very smart move because that gets played here. Because no one in this country, man, I say no one. I mean, no one who isn't a rock fan in this country knows the Van Halen cover that song. So they know it from. Um, they know it from uh, Mick Jagger and David Bowie, if, or, or possibly the original. Um, so yeah, so it's a very smart choice of song because it you know gets airplay in America from the Van Halen link and that audience, but it's also getting picked up here just because you know it's a song that people know. And I think I think a lot of times a lot of rock bands are too precious about what they do and they treat it with too much reverence. And I you know I like the fact that yeah I think the Struts whole reason for being is to entertain their audience, and if that means picking a song that people are gonna dance to and you know wearing wearing whatever the guy wears um, I forgot his name now Luke isn't it Luke Spilby but um, yes I mean you know because you know he's an entertainer and that's what he wants to do and and fair play to him I think uh, I think they're great I, I, again I think they're one of those bands that you know if they get on the radio here I mean they've just done uh, they just played a, a, their new single at the half time at a, a big charity soccer match with um, with Robbie Williams, yeah, things that a lot of rock bands have turned their nose up at, but you know, very calculated move to get in front of a new audience. With you know, there'd be a lot of Robbie Williams fans who will listen to them who would never have heard of them before. And if that gets them on the radio and that opens the doors for other rock fans, then fair play to them. I say thanks. We'll see what happens. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you think about what that could lead to for just rock music, you know? I mean, sometimes it's not how you get there. It's just that you got there, you know? And, and 
you know, if it's a band like the Struts or, you know, Greta Van Fleet gets a lot of pushback here because of the similarities with Led Zeppelin. But what it's also creating is interest in other bands, like you mentioned with Massive Wagons and Those Damn Crows. There's also the idea, as you know, has been mentioned here, that no matter what's happening in terms of what's popular in music, we're going to keep doing the same thing. We're going to keep playing the same way, and sooner or later, people will find us because we've what we've got is really good. Is that also you know the mentality like, hey, you know, we're just going to keep doing what we want to do, and it's awesome because people do give us feedback that it is, and I I am one of those people that sooner or later, because it's good, it'll be found. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to what I was saying before about. Yeah, I, I respect an artist for doing what they want to do, and you know, if if they've got that authenticity and they're doing something that they believe in, then other people will buy into it or not. And I think, you know, I think that's how rock music's always worked. And um, yeah, the good rock bands do what they do, and that's the reason why they've got longevity because yeah, they're not always trying to hop on the latest thing and the latest idea. Um, I mean, in my time, I've played in in kind of indie bands, which I think possibly means something slightly different over here. So kind of bands that were kind of influenced by bands like um, Suede and Radiohead and bands like that, which were great. But the the turnover in sound, you know, within a year and a half, two years, you could have written a load of songs and they just sound like they'd sound dated and then you couldn't play them anymore. It was like with rock music, you know, the stuff that we'd done four or five years ago, sounds different to what we've done now but yeah we could do a set with starting with that song and then move straight to something new and um, because you're kind of going back to the same foundation so it's all kind of coming from the the same place and i think i think that's one of the strengths of uh, of kind of playing rock stuff is that yeah the, once the fans like you they like you unless you take a complete you know left turn and then they can make their choice whether they follow you or not but um yeah, I think it gives you that kind of room to breathe and grow and develop and do do new things and see what works and see what and um, see what you want to experiment with and see see who does come with you. As we close down 2020, what's coming up for Doomsday Outlaw? Any more singles released? What's the plan? Yes, I mean, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we've just just spent this weekend. We actually shot uh, shot two videos. Um, at, uh, at this stately home that we'd that we'd hired out in the countryside, um, so I think we're looking at one of those coming out in November. Now that was that was originally going to be a little bit earlier, um, so one in November. I think because we were originally planning to put the album out in November and it was going to be linked to that, but um, I think we're we're probably looking at putting that out at the start of next year now. So I think it's going to be relatively quiet. Um, at the end of this year because we can't play live um, so uh, yeah we've got um, the next show that we've got booked is uh, um, a rock festival done by um, one of the radio stations here one of the, one of the few dedicated rock stations here and um, that's got a good following so that'll get us kind of back in the saddle just before Christmas um, and then we're looking at um, really hitting the road on uh, you know kind of start next year kind of from February, March time, um, and then working into the summer festivals, fingers crossed, if they're, if they're allowed to happen. 
Indy, it's been a pleasure talking with you. The conversation's been great. I really do appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. And you, Jake? No, it's been good. Thank you. Once again, everybody, that's Indy Shonda from the band Doomsday Outlaw. I'm Jay Scott, your host at The Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Twitter at The Hook Rocks, and check us out on Facebook at The Hook Rocks. Same thing with Doomsday Outlaw. You can check them out at doomsdayoutlaw.com, and you can find them also on Facebook and Twitter, too, as well, with the hatch, with the Twitter at Doomsday Outlaw, and then search Doomsday Outlaw on Facebook. Take care, everybody. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.